0: I was asked the following question, can you have salvation without forgiveness? Now this is a very serious question and it's one that takes us to the very core of Christianity and how Christ taught us to live. This is a question of faith and it is one that is asked whenever people are faced with problems and problems that come in the size of mountains in life. There is an answer to this question, and we can have assurance in our faith that Jesus taught us how to navigate these difficult waters. So, thank you for joining me, and welcome to Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure, produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. Now, I'm Pastor Jay Dillon Proctor, but there's one other here hosting with me in the studio today.
1: Pastor Anthony Alegria.
0: And Brother Anthony, why don't you go ahead and open up in prayer for us while we're all together.
1: Alrighty. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord... uh... We pray that the meditations of our hearts, both here in the studio and in the audience, and the words of our mouths, will be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Anthony, for praying for us. And again, if you haven't checked out our stuff, you can find us on Kingdom of the Lagos, They're on Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, a lot of different places in podcast and video form. We also do have our website where we post articles and things. And now that the first of the year is starting back up, we're back to publishing articles. And I've got a abbreviated version of what we're going to be talking about today there on the website. So anyways, to our topic, the question of can you have salvation without forgiveness? Now, this is a question, really, if we're honest in investigating what the person asked me was, is they were looking to find out if you must forgive someone if we are to be saved and redeemed by Christ. Now, I realize there are other ways to interpret the simple statement, can you have salvation without forgiveness? And I'm going to address those as well, because they're really going to help us walk through this and figure out some great firm foundations to walk on. And it may seem like a simple question at first when you look at this, but there is some level of nuance. And when I say it looks simple at first, I realize there's gonna be a lot of people out there who would simply say no. You can't have salvation if you're not willing to forgive, and that is good. That is the correct answer, and that's ultimately where we're going to end up. But there is a little bit of nuance here, and it's not nuance so much as it is in the answer as it is in the side of the question, because these are often complicated moments in life when someone would ever ask this, and we need to look at giving someone advice in how they navigate those waters. So again, the nuance is not so much in the answer as it is in how do we navigate those waters with a firm foundation built on Christ. And looking here, we find that we don't want to cheapen the grace of God. And that's really where the nuance is found in the application. How do we respond to situations in such a way that we don't cheapen the grace of God by doing something that enables people to continue sinning while they refuse to accept any sort of Christ-like transformation? Often, if you're in a moment like this where you're trying to reach out to somebody, you're trying to forgive them, but they don't really want it, it feels like we are just cheapening God's grace by encouraging sin by simply telling people they're forgiven when they continue to do sinful and wicked harm. Now, it feels often like we're giving people a permission slip, sort of like we've got them a free ticket to do whatever they want if you just continually do this where it feels like you're giving a free pass on evil. And that's what we're here to hope to try to mitigate. Does that sound like a fair introduction of this question, Anthony? Very. All right. (laughs) He's giving the one word answer over there. I do like conversation in this. Um, so one of the things which is fascinating about this, and those in the audience, by the way, send me your thoughts, questions, and comments. So who is this really directed at? Um, if you're in a situation where you feel like you can't forgive someone or someone keeps doing something to you, and perhaps maybe you're actually on the receiving end of this question, and maybe you are doing something that you need to repent of. There's a lot of different angles that we come to this, but I want to open up by saying this is a personal an intimate question. It's not some sort of macro solution. We live in a day and age where people, they want to look at the world as a whole and say, ah, oh, all these people have done me wrong. We want to look in and pass judgments on entire groups of people. Um, the gospel deals with people individually and Christ is in the business of caring about your individual soul. So this is not talking about things in the macro scale, but the personal intimate scale. And this is fun, foundational to, to Christianity. Um, Let me ask Anthony some rhetorical questions, and he can come back at me with non-rhetorical answers. In other words, answer them. Um, Anthony, if you have Caesar as Lord of your life, does Caesar care much about what you think personally and where your heart is personally? No. If Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, does he care about you as an individual? yes yes and one of the foundational things of christianity is that when christ is lord of your life he cares about the personal the intimate and the things which happen there in your heart of hearts so despite the nuance that we've talked about we have moral certainty on this topic whenever you've got someone who you're wanting to forgive but at the same time they won't receive that christ-like transformation they keep doing things this becomes a mountain of spiritual warfare and it's one that's very difficult to overcome but the answer can be found We are called in the church to be simultaneously forgiving and opposed to sin. And a lot of times it's easy to be forgiving and opposed to sin, but there are hairy situations in life where you're wanting to forgive someone, but they don't want to turn away from sin. And we are taught as Christians to be merciful enough to withhold condemnation. We're not here to to condemn others. But at the same time, we are also told to be severe enough to cut down wickedness. And that is where the straight and narrow path, that is the way of life, really does become a straight and narrow path. And I do have a practical response to this question. And it is quite simply this, and you've got to kind of use some communication skills in doing this and by communication skills, I say just simply say this out loud. So here is the response I have if you're dealing with this situation. Go over to the person who you're having an issue with and say this, I do not condemn you for I am not the judge of the living and the dead. Yet I must shake the sand from my feet and move on from having you in my life because I have watched you take my mercy and use it as an excuse to continue doing wicked things. Now that seems like a simple enough practical response, but we're going to spend the rest of this program explaining that. But Anthony, do you have any initial thoughts on that before we continue on? Um, no, not quite. I want to see where you want to take it. <laughs> all right. So, and hopefully that's where you are out in the audience. You want to see where this is taking it? Again, I'll just reread that response, and then we'll tie it all back up at the end. So this isn't the only time I'm going to say this. If you've got somebody in your life who is doing things against you, they're rejecting the Christ-like transformation. You you're forgiving them, but at the same time you don't want to cheapen God's grace by just forgiving them and giving them a free pass to do things that are wicked. Come over to them. And again, this is personal. This isn't some macro thing where you're looking at giant groups of people and nations, but you come over to a person and say, I do not condemn you, for I am not the judge of the living and the dead. Yet I must shake the sand from my feet and move on from having you here, because I have watched you take my mercy and use it as an excuse to continue doing evil and wicked things. So let's get into some scripture. And we're going to actually be looking at a lot of scripture today. And This question, it came at a time when, here at the local church where I pastor, we're studying the gospel according to St. Matthew, and we're specifically looking at the text in Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20, where Jesus heals a boy with a demon that the disciples are unable to help. In this particular text, Jesus tells the disciples that faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Now, normally we read that, and we know that it's telling us the importance of faith, and we don't usually take the actual aspect of a mountain and do a lot with it, Um, Normally we don't make some sort of connection between forgiveness and then Jesus rebuking a demon and teaching us about moving mountains. But I would like to point out that situations like this that make us ponder salvation and forgiveness, they are often both mountainous and filled with quite, quite violent spiritual warfare. So let's get into this scripture and then we're going to read a lot of different scriptures and we're going to take this from different angles and hopefully we'll have some practical solutions for this by the end. Brother Anthony, would you mind reading our first scripture today out of Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 all the way down to um, verse 20?
1: When they came to the crowd, a man came to him, knelt before him, and said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples, but they cannot cure him. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was cured instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why can't we cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed— you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you.
0: All right, so today we're not going to spend a lot of time looking within this text because we're going to be looking a lot of different places as well. But I do want to point out how this really does relate. At first, when I was looking at this question that someone had, had sent to me, I was going to, to kind of just go directly in that direction. But then I noticed that when we look at what's going on here in Matthew 17 is the disciples have been given a, a situation. They've had somebody come to them. And there is an evil force within this. There is something there which needs to be rebuked and sent away. And they can't do anything with it. The disciples really do feel like they're hitting their head up against a, a rock. Is that, that kind of what you get from them? They're, they feel like they've got somewhere where they can't do anything with it?
1: Oh, I mean, I would be pretty frustrated myself.
0: Yeah, they're at a moment where they're frustrated. And Jesus comes back to them and he, he tells them, faith is the answer. And then he expands on that just a little bit. He's saying, faith quickens you. It enables you to do something like move a mountain. It is because of of little faith that you're not able to navigate this. And if you do have that faith, you will be able to navigate some difficult waters. So faith quickens us. Faith requires following the full gospel. And that's largely what we're going to start talking about now. But let's go back and really examine this question, this question of salvation and forgiveness. And to begin with, I want to clarify exactly what that question was to make sure everybody's on the right page. The person asking this meant this question. Can you have salvation in Christ, meaning you personally have salvation in Christ, without forgiving someone who has done something wrong to you and your family and is still continuing to do these things that are wrong? Now, I realize that there are are other interpretations of this question, and I'm going to address them because they're going to help us have a broad scope of forgiveness And they're going to help, let's look at this main emphasis of struggling to forgive someone who is continually sinning against you and those for whom you care. So one alternative interpretation of this question is simply, could you be saved without forgiveness? And this is a question that I've actually met a lot of people who have asked, and you may have met someone like this too, where they say, Jesus can't really save me because I'm too far gone. That this is the question of Jesus coming to save someone without actually forgiving them and without cleansing them. And the answer to this question is quite clearly no. Jesus is not going to to forgive someone without saving them, or save someone without forgiving them. Either way you look at it, the answer is no. If you have accepted Jesus into your heart as the Lord of your life and as your Savior, then he has forgiven you of your sins. This is a real question that people ask, and it's important to, to realize that. No one is going to be too far gone to receive Forgiveness, so long as they are willing to approach him with a heart, willing to let Jesus be Lord of their life. And now for this next bit, we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures. And instead of us breaking them up, I'm just going to kind of throw them into the conversation. Um, I realize a lot of times you don't hear Nazarenes using a lot of scriptures. And even with uh, myself and Anthony, I oftentimes picket Anthony for some of his Baptist background for throwing a lot of scriptures in there. Um, They're sort of the stereotypical fundamentalist, Uh, thing that a lot of people in Nazarene circles make fun of where they kind of proof text and they want to talk about an issue. So they pull out some sort of, uh, I don't know, it could be any sort of Bible resource. They get online, they search for how many times a word appears in a Bible. Maybe they get out Strong's Concordance or something, but they just look for that word and then they build around that without reading the context. We're going to be using a lot of scriptures, but we're kind of going to be doing the opposite of that. In the Church of the Nazarene, we believe that scripture as a whole reveals things And we look at all of Scripture, and we kind of put it together as a large, um, holistic item, which has a lot of different angles, a lot of different applications, and different forms there within Scripture. Obviously, something like the Psalms is very different from something like the Gospel, and so forth and so on. But they all come together, revealing us all the things necessary for salvation. They all come together beautifully. Now that being said, we're going to be using a lot of scriptures and we're doing this to look holistically at the Bible and see what the Bible as a whole is teaching us about forgiveness and how that relates to our salvation. So another interpretation of the question of forgiveness and how that fits into the Christian walk is simply that. How does it fit into the Christian walk as a whole? Whether it be me forgiving someone else, Jesus forgiving me, me forgiving myself, one of the things that we know is that when we are saved by Christ and walking on the way of life, as forgiveness is essential to how we operate. In the gospel according to St. John, chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus gives us this new commandment. And John 13, 34 reads, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Now, I've talked about this quite a bit. It's not a vague Um, commandment to love. A lot of times people reduce it down and say the new commandment is to love. No, that's that's not what it says. It says to love as Christ loved you. You can't cut off that half of the sentence that says as Christ loved you. Again, Jesus says that you love one another just as I loved you. You should also love one another. And it's unmistakably clear from the New Testament that Jesus' love includes forgiveness, including forgiveness for people who did not even ask for it or maybe didn't know how to ask for it. Of course, you can look somewhere like Luke 23, verse 34, when Jesus is being taken to the cross, they're crucifying him, and he says, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Again, Jesus is forgiving people, and it's quintessential to the whole New Testament, the whole life of the church that we are forgiving. And moreover, when Jesus comes forth to the disciples after being resurrected, and we'll go back to the gospel according to John, we find in John 20:22, 20, he says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now, this statement, it's giving clear authority to the disciples regarding forgiveness. It's clearly saying that the church is not accidentally involved in God's work, and they are given real commissioned authority to forgive. But it's also clear that they must forgive in a Christ-like manner. And we must remember there, also in the Gospel of of Matthew, we find um, in chapter 7, verse 2, there in kind of the Sermon on the Mount territory, Jesus says, For with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. And that logic is taken throughout the the entirety of the New Testament. You see Jesus interacting with Pharisees and scribes, and they're accusing Jesus of being a demon. He says, well, you've accused me of this. This is going to be how you're judged. You you have done this, and now this is going to come back for you. This is the standard by which you will be measured because this is how you were wanting to measure others. So we know that forgiveness is very essential to the Christian life. And the final interpretation I want to address in this before getting back to our main emphasis is the question that goes, If we are saved by Christ Jesus, does this mean that I will be instantaneously forgiven by the people who I have sinned against? Furthermore, is my salvation at stake if others do not forgive me? This is a very legitimate question, especially considering what I just read out of John 20:22. 20, and to answer that, we know that God created us with free will. And he chose to redeem us and redeem the human will rather than to destroy us. Now again, God creating us in his image and that including will takes place before sin. So there is the carnal nature and God is not wanting to come and redeem sin somehow and make it okay to do sin. But he does want to redeem the fundamental aspects of the human design which he breathed life into. And free will is a very basic foundation of that. And if God would take away free will, it would destroy the basic foundation of our created design. So when it comes to salvation, Christ is the judge of the living and the dead, not others. And if we are saved by Christ, then we are saved by Christ. Kind of sounds like circular logic. It is, and it's true. Jesus is not going to force the will of others, and although the Holy Spirit does convict. So on this topic, people often get worried when they see something like the scripture I shared in John twenty twenty two that states, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now there's mystery in how sin retained by human might relate to God, but we know God is the judge of the living and the dead. We know that God commissioned us with real authority, but there's just mystery in how this is going to work out. We can have complete assurance that Jesus is the judge of the living and dead, not his followers. Thus, you can have assurance that you're forgi- your salvation is not at stake if others have yet to forgive you. Anthony. That's something I was about to say. Um, we
1: should never confuse ourselves for God or for Christ, but on the opposite side of that, we should not uh, live in ignorance of the authority and responsibility that he has called us to. Yeah. Um, God has called the church to really incredible endeavors and empower the church with the authority to fulfill them. And it's something oftentimes that we want to push away and say, no, we have nothing to do with that. That's not our job whatsoever. And that might be a good, humble attitude to have concerning it. But um, beyond that, there are things that I think would surprise a lot of Christians that God has empowered Christians to do, such as here we see in um, John twenty twenty two: if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any— are retained and i believe that's spoken to um the disciples after jesus has been resurrected this is something that he gave to the church yeah and so uh it is definitely interesting how much god has called the church to
0: yeah it's a serious thing and it's not just accidentally there there's kind of a commandment sandwich (laughs) you get to a little bit of an extent in the gospel of john around the crucifixion before he goes he says love as i have loved you and then he comes back and says forgive. I'm breathing the Holy Spirit on you. You've been quickened for this. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If not, they're retained. He gives them real authority. But like Anthony said, while we are part of the body of Christ, we cannot mistake ourselves for Christ and start turning ourselves into idols. So thus you have assurance that your salvation is not at stake if others have yet to forgive you. But yet there's mystery in how all this operates, but that is something which is up to God. Um, the heart of the question that was presented to me, and let's get back to that, because people do want practical advice for this. When you've got somebody, you've you've forgiven them time and time again, you want to seek some godly transformation, but yet they can they refuse this, they continue to do um, sinful things. This really is a very very serious thing, um, and that's really where kind of the nuance comes in. It's not so much nuance in the question of whether forgiveness is essential to salvation, it's really nuanced in how do I navigate these waters? I need some practical advice to get through these. I know the way of life is straight and narrow and its navigation requires faith, but how then do I do this? This is a very real situation and it is a mountain and it's a mountain covered in spiritual warfare. You know how you go and you see Bob Ross painting his wonderful little pictures. They've got, you add a little bit of, um, well, Anthony, we do Bob Ross over here at the church, and it's always frustrating. You see Bob Ross up there, and he adds a little bit of snow caps on the mountain. You wonder how he does that. Life comes at us to throw a little bit of spiritual warfare up there, and it's so easy to throw all that spiritual warfare in there, but then we're looking at it, and we're saying, how do we navigate this? Well, looking at the heart of this question, if you have ever asked this question in life, there's actually something good has, has happened, because um, whether or not you realize it, your brain has figured out a very important theological notion. Um, we don't want to just keep giving people free passes to continue sinning. And you figured out something pretty important if you've you've ever come to this point. And you, you figured out that the gospel is meant to be taken in its fullness, not simply the pieces that we like. And you can take one piece of the gospel and leave out others and find you sing, yourself doing things that are not Christ-like at all. You can even find yourself doing some really wicked stuff just by taking one Christian virtue and purchasing it at the expense of other Christian virtues. Heresy happens when one Christian virtue is purchased at the expense of rejecting and turning away from other Christian virtues. And we don't want to cheapen God's grace. We don't want to cheapen forgiveness either. And you can cheapen forgiveness if you do not do it in a Christ-like way. And that's something which is really, really possible. And we don't want to cheapen God's grace. The cost of salvation is very high. And in fact, it's so high that no human can ever pay it. And if we continually use grace as an excuse to overlook very real and very sinful behaviors, then we may be cheapening God's grace if it is allowing and actually enabling and encouraging someone to do something sinful. Um, Anthony.
1: And this sort of thing uh, looks a lot of different ways in practice. Um, I think most Christians are like going to be going to agree very quickly that you should not actively help someone to sin but then how far does this sort of go what's what what is considered enablement and where's the sort of line between grace and forgiveness and enabling and i would say a good example that we could look to is the story of the woman at the well um jesus very well could have only said you know hey uh you're forgiven of everything you've done nothing wrong actually and uh go forth and continue doing whatever you would like to do but that's not what jesus says and jesus never says that to anyone that he forgives after he forgives he says go and sin no more whenever this woman is here before him uh jesus is pretty uh frank about the situation he says no you are not of one husband you've had many husbands and that man over there is not your husband that is an extraordinarily frank thing to say but this also doesn't mean that she was beyond jesus's forgiveness and this doesn't mean that she was beyond god's grace but jesus was realistic about the situation and he came to proclaim the lord's gospel not necessarily the uh gospel that some people have from whom you might call hippie jesus who doesn't care about anything. Which is not really the gospel. Anyone, which, is, which is kind of what I'm trying to say. Definitely not really um, you get the, the gospel. Gospels. Our gospel is. is the gospel of transformation. There is good news. There's going to be actual, real change. And there's going to be liberation from sin.
0: Yeah, there's only one true gospel. All the others are false. Um, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's revealed... In the New Testament, we have it revealed to us through, through four Gospels. That's why we say the Gospel according to, in, insert name here, and you'll, you'll go back to the Greek and you find it written that way. Anyways, um, to the point of what Anthony brought up about the woman at the well, it's a really good example because why should the woman at the well care or respect God's grace if it's so cheap that Jesus comes and says, yeah, go and send them more. Go have seven more husbands. Um, go Go – Be with whatever man you want to. Have no bounds around that. You know Why would you care about God's grace if it's that cheap? Um, why, Why in the world would we expect someone who we're trying to reach? And that's really what's happening here if you're asking this question. You've got somebody in your life you're wanting them to turn. Why would they ever care to respect God's grace if those who are in the church who are called to be stewards of Christ's gospel, stewards of God's grace, if we treat it so cheaply, why should they care about it? If we make it to where you know, you, you come in, you don't have to have any transformation, um, which just is not saying that Jesus won't come to somebody who's at the well and offer forgiveness and salvation to them. That's not what this is saying, but it's saying people who are in the church who turn away from it, who look at Jesus and they're like the Pharisees who look at it and say, that's Beelzebub, I don't want it. Why should they ever have a repentance in their heart if the people in the church don't even take God's grace serious enough to treat it as a serious affair. You kind of see what I'm saying there, Anthony? Well, a lot of times
1: people act as though it's not effective. As in the, God's grace has no actual effect. Yeah. When that's not true, the grace of God is transformative.
0: Yeah, and so let's let's get into a little bit more scripture. I want us to go to Revelation chapter three, verse 19, where Jesus is speaking to the to one of the churches um, and he's speaking really to loud I see it, and he says, I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. This is really foundational. Um, This is fundamental to the conversation we're having. And this is where I'm talking about earlier. We've got to take the full gospel of Jesus Christ, the full good news that Christ has for us. Because so many times we think that we can just get one Christian virtue and things can get really off the rail. But when you put them all together, they complement one another. They come to make us well-disciplined, well-rounded Christians. And Jesus says, and this is one of the things fundamental to Christ-like love. He says, I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. So, reproval and discipline, in other words, coming to somebody to offer correction to them, rebuking things which are not right, that is part of Christ-like love. Now, Christ wants people to repent and return to him. And there will be people out there who say, "Well, oh, if you rebuke them, they'll never turn back." No, that's not true. If if sometimes people really do get to a moment in their life where they say, "You know, they rebuked me because they stood for something," and showing people that this has value and it is worth something is so much more important than cheapening God's grace and just turning it into where it's nothing. And of course, it it matters with the the weight of eternity. This is not just some petty little thing that's put together. This is the gospel, the good news of our Lord Christ Jesus. And we, While we're not the judge of the living and the dead, we are called to be stewards of the gospel. Therefore, we must take it seriously enough to discipline those whom we love. Again, Christ tells us, love others like I loved you. And if it's fundamental to who Christ is to say, I reprove and I discipline those whom I love, don't you think, Anthony, we should be reproving and disciplining those whom we love as well? Meaning we don't just let them get away with everything? Of course.
1: Um, and I think it's almost kind of funny. <laughs> Obviously, the reproval and the disciplining is in love. That's yeah. kind of almost funny to have to mention. But
0: yeah, it is. It is. So let's get to a practical response for this. And I'm going to get back to that statement I had earlier. So if you're dealing with this sort of situation, communication and firm conviction is a key. Don't don't give in on any of your convictions. People never really respect that. Um, it's kind of like there in the gospel of Matthew again where Jesus he's he says, "What do I am going to compare this generation to?" They're like children out in the streets. They they say, "We played the flute and you wouldn't dance. We wept or we mourned and you wouldn't weep." You saw John and he was not eating and you called him, um, you say he has the devil in him, you say he's wicked, and the Son of Man comes eating and drinking and you say he's a glutton. They don't respect any conviction at all one way or another. If you do what they want, they, they're not going to respect it. If you don't do what they want, they're not going to respect it. So whenever someone is in this mode where they're not wanting to receive God's grace, trying to compromise and shore up um, whatever they're wanting while taking away from God's grace is not going to get you anywhere. That, that sort of compromise never gets anything. So you've got to have firm conviction. Anthony? I was just going to say,
1: um, and that sort of compromise is a much greater breach of our authority than going as far as to forgive someone of their sins. Yes. Um, it's not been placed in our hands to compromise God's salvation. No. There's only one judge. Yep. <laughs> um, we're not like a used car salesman trying to rip people off and then they're not accepting it so we're just going to cut the price down to what it should be. Um, That's not at all how this works whatsoever. We're stewards and uh, we're called to proclaim the good news.
0: Yeah. So we must first extend our mercy to those who are doing this. So don't prejudge what they're going to say. You've actually got to extend your mercy. And if you've already done that, then you've already done that. But if you haven't done that, you've got to first go out and, and address the situation. Again, communication is key. And It's imperative to remember that Christ's love is unfailing. We've kind of got into modern day and age where we talk about unconditional love, but the correct theological notion is that Christ's love is unfailing. It's clear that Christ's love will never fail to save those who are willing to receive it, regardless of where they came from. However, it's also very clear that there are going to be those who are lost because they reject the precious gift of salvation from Christ. So the correct notion is that it's unfailing love rather than unconditional love because Clearly, Christ has expectations once you are saved that you will start moving towards him, that the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit will come. You'll be pursuing sanctification. You'll be growing. The kingdom of God doesn't matter where you start off with, but once you are saved, there's only two things you can't do. You can't be advancing the cause of sin, and you can't be idle. So what we find here is that we must be merciful, and we also must be severe at the same time. Jesus gave us a clear strategy on this, and this is very useful to people walking through this. Whenever we've come to someone and presented them with the gospel, but they've refused it, again, you've got to do that first. You've got to present them the gospel face to face, but then they refuse it. Remember that we have permission to shake the sand from our sandals and move on. Matthew ten thirteen through 14 reads, if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. So that is written to address this exact situation. Whenever we're dealing with individuals face-to-face and to whom we have presented the gospel and its forgiving power, if they reject it, then we can shake the dust from our shoes and move on. I Anything? would just like to say that beyond that... Um... I'm not even sure it's
1: necessarily that we can, it's that we are commanded to. And Mm. so I think that there's a great lesson to be learned in those types of scriptures also in that those are a waste of the gospel and going to be, and I know that sounds absolutely terrible and harsh, but the harvest is plentiful. So go out and reap where there is fruit to be reaped. You know, some places there's not always going to be the same fruit, and that's not necessarily uh, something that's a consequence of your doing. And we're called to um, be good stewards as we are proclaiming the good news. If the apostles stayed at every single town that rejected them, they would not have traveled very far. (laughs)
0: Um, And if I can, for a second, step in here, Anthony. So to kind of assert what you're saying and to make sure everyone's got a clear understanding of this, do we by any power of our own save people? Is it our own efforts that save people or redeem people? No. Okay. So it's not, it's God's power. That's why the word is steward. We're stewards of the gospel because we don't own it. So us saying, well, we want to stay with somebody who's rejecting it. You know, first of all, it's, it's not our energy Anthony's talking about how it's it's a bit of a way, it's yet yeah, it's a waste of our energy and it's not our energy anyways that is saving people. We're yeah. out there to just be preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel and giving testimony to Christ Jesus through our lives, but it is ultimately from Christ where that power where that authority lies. And if we ever start to think that it's our own energy and if I spend a little bit more time over here, you know, suddenly I've I've got something to do it because I will it to be. You know, we As humans, we we don't will things um, to the level that God does. And you kind of get a little bit idolatrous when you start to think that it is my efforts that lead to salvation. Certainly, Christ has given us real authority, and we are commanded to go out and do things. So we aren't to be idle, but at the same time, we should use the wisdom Jesus has given us. Um, Because not only are we commanded to do this, it's also going to make our lives a lot better. So you have permission to shake the sand from your feet, and this is something you can actually do out of love. We must be merciful, but also severe. And communication of your standing is clear. Again, we're climbing a mountain here. That mountain that's mentioned there with the mustard seed, we're there getting to it and we're going to move this mountain. We're here to do something big. So communicating your standing is pretty important. Make sure you don't move that mountain and crush yourself. And if you have earnestly presented someone the gospel and the forgiving power of it, It is then their duty to respond. If they don't respond righteously, then you are free to tell them where your heart is. And you can say, look, my heart's led by Christ-like forgiveness. And it's because I'm led by Christ-like forgiveness that I've got to cut you off. Like the same conviction that tells us to forgive people also tells us that we can't help them advance sin, that we've got to cut them off, whether it be financially, socially, whatever it is, the same Christ-like love that says I forgive you Also is the same Christ-like love that says, go and sin no more. And if they don't want to be forgiven and they want to go sin and sin more, well, then you have permission to to shake it off your your feet, shake the dust off your feet and move on. It is the same Christ-like conviction that tells us to forgive that also tells us to cut such things off, to walk away from these situations. Again, it's not up to us anyway. Just hand it over to God. And it would cheapen us to not take the full gospel, not to take this stuff seriously. There is a time and place when we are to walk away from situations. Now, that doesn't mean we quit loving people. That doesn't mean that we have condemned them to to an eternity in hell or anything like that. But this is the best response we have. And if you want that sentence I said earlier to really assert your stance, you need to come to someone and say this. I do not condemn you for I am not the judge of the living and the dead. Yet, I must shake the sand from my feet and move on from having you in my life because I have watched you. Take my mercy and use it as an excuse to continue doing wicked things. Again, taking this stand does not make us better than those who we're dusting off from our feet. None of us are able to achieve salvation by our own means. And if we ever start thinking we should, then we need to have a conversation. Send me an email. But we must realize that Christ realized there are people who are going to utterly reject this. There are people who are going to want to stay on the way of death. And even though we're shaking the, the dust from our shoes, we still need to pray for those. We still need to, to love them. Again, that doesn't mean that you need to, to spend all your time and finances and resources and you know dedicate your whole life to them. God tells us exactly what to do. Jesus just revealed it to us, God incarnate. Prayer is important. God's grace continues to work in people's lives. And again, it's not our efforts that save others, but God's. And God will continue to love those people despite their sin and brokenness, and just as Jesus is willing to receive them in, should they repent, we too, we have to keep that out there where we say, you know, if you decide to repent, we'll open our arms in reconciliation. But for now, this is what's got to be done. Anthony, your thoughts?
1: Um, to build on something you said concerning God's efforts and our efforts, it is not glorious to God when we live like it's going to be our efforts that save people. And that's a pretty hard just fact to come to terms with, I think, and actually live according to. A lot of times we think, okay, I just need to put in more effort, more effort, more effort, and eventually they're going to be saved. But at the end of the day, that is not glorious to God. Whenever we are willing to put things into God's hand is whenever we are glorifying God better. And I think um, there's a lot of really deep reasons for why this is. People, um, God doesn't come into our lives and stronghold us and throttle, you know, (laughs) choke us by the throat and tell us, you know, to come back to him. Uh, God respects our free will and those sorts of things. This is part of the nature and character of God. And we should glorify God in showing that to others also, which is not to say that we should, again, help them to sin because God doesn't. And God notifies us of our sin. He convicts us by the Holy Spirit, but he uh, doesn't try to force us and
0: overpower us and win us over by attrition. Yeah. Well... It's tragic when a moment like this occurs, but we can have some clear moral guidance through it. Again, if you've got a situation like this in life, you're coming up against a mountain of spiritual warfare. But these mountains, they can be moved. They can be overcome. The disciples, they lacked the faith necessary to rebuke the demon that was afflicting the child. But Jesus had mercy on them. Jesus taught them that faith is essential to overcoming massive problems in life. And Christ, he does tell us that we can do this. Now, he doesn't tell us that moving the mountain will be easy or painless, but faith will enable us to do it. And if we are saved by Christ, then forgiveness must be in our hearts. Well, thank you for joining us. Anthony, do you have any final thoughts on this before we kind of wrap things up? Uh, If there's anything I would add at all, it would
1: just be to um, search your heart whenever you're in these situations that you might not be selfless and also uh, handle such things in prayer. And uh, even in the process of while you are um, perhaps notifying them that you are about to be shaking the sand sand from your sandals, uh, to be praying in God over that and to um, try to remain humble and uh, sort of. I'm not going to say not be judgmental, but just remember that we're not going to be the ones in the judgment, in the seat of judgment. So everything that we're doing is just going to be our very best effort. And uh, hopefully it was the right way. And so we should be in prayer for wisdom whenever we're doing things like this.
0: Certainly, certainly. Well, thank you for joining us. We are Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. Again, I'm Jay Dylan Proctor. That's Pastor Anthony Alegria over there. And thank you for joining us. You can send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. We're on Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, a lot of different places, and even at a website, kingdomofthelogos.com. Anthony, would you close us in prayer? Yes.
1: Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that um, you would send your spirit on us, that uh, after hearing your word, we might go out into the world and proclaim the good news as you would have us, and that we would be able to Forgive those who have trespassed against us. Um, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment in those times. And we pray, Lord, for uh, perfect love, that you would help us to love our neighbor and that then we might be able to live more faithfully. In Jesus'
0: name I pray. Amen. Amen. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.